And may I speak in the name of our living God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Why, as Christians, should we read the Old Testament? Well, there's a question for us, isn't there? And I think the readings today illustrate quite clearly why an understanding of the Old Testament is useful if we want to understand the New. If we want to understand what the Gospel reading about is about this morning, then we must have some understanding of the Old Testament background is the main point I'm getting at there. The people in the Old Testament reading had left Egypt at the Passover and were living in the desert. They would need shelter that could be carried with them when they travelled. It would be needed to keep the sun off them in the daytime. The desert sun can be very hot. And to keep them cold, uh, warm at night because it can, the nights in the desert can be cold. Also in the desert, they had a tabernacle built as a place where God would live, they said. As they moved, the tabernacle was carried when the people moved, went, and at each encampment was assembled into an arrangement that had a curtained-off area. If you like, imagine the curtains as this church building sort of cut off at about head height, I suppose. Uh, so that you'd have the open area where people could assemble, as you are indeed, and then you'd have the tabernacle at the end, uh, in this sort of chancel area, if you like. So they carried, if you like, their place of worship with them, and they took with them the God they worshipped. As they travelled, the, uh, the God would go with them in a cloud by day, and in a pillar of fire by night, leading them through the desert. Eventually, they arrived at the Promised Land, and later Solomon built a temple in Jerusalem, and the people believed that God made his home in the temple. That is why it became so important for people to go to Jerusalem. The Lord instructed people to hold the Festival of Booths, it was also called the Festival of Tabernacles, and they were to hold it in the seventh month, starting on the 15th day. The seventh month would be late summer, so they were told to combine the festival with the harvest, and that would seem quite appropriate, wouldn't it? The instruction from God also illustrated his care for the people, the 15th day of the month would be a full moon. So that as they were in the booths by night, they would be able to see. They would have bright moonlight, as long as there's no clouds, of course. Now the festival of booths, or Sukkot, is, continues to this day. In fact, it shouldn't come as a surprise that now we are in late summer in the Northern Hemisphere, and the next full moon is on the night of the 20th and 21st of, 20th and 21st of September, 
that's a week tomorrow, so, you know, sort of. That this year the festival starts at sundown on Monday, Monday the 20th of September. And it finishes at nightfall on Monday the 27th of September. They're still keeping, the devout Jews still keep the instructions they had on the festival. And I think we have a couple of pictures now uh, of the booths that might be used these days. I can't see them, so... And you'll see from the second one that... Sorry, back to the microphone. You'll see from the second one that they can be quite well appointed, that they can eat there, they can sleep there in the booth. Now the temple was destroyed in 70 AD, but Jews now look to the western wall of Jerusalem as the place where God lives. And you can see on the next picture that it's used as a place of worship indeed. And I can tell you that as you go there, to the Western Wall, there is an amazing feeling of peace and tranquility. You can feel, I think, the presence of God. Nearby, there's a large and permanent notice proclaiming, and I think you can, you can just see the top of the notice on the picture, proclaiming the divine presence never moves from the Western Wall. In other words, they still believe that God lives there with them. The temple is gone, the western wall is now the place of worship, and it is where God lives. And that's a very large display board, if you like, and underneath that statement that the divine presence never leaves, never moves from the western wall, there's a lot of explanation, which was pointless putting up on a screen, you wouldn't be able to read it anyway. But it, there's a lot of it. Now, as Christians, we know better than that, for God lives with and in each of us. And I've heard it suggested that his tabernacle is, in fact, in our hearts. He lives in us and with us. Now, I've been looking at this Feast of Booths in some detail, because it's the backdrop of the next three and a half chapters of John's Gospel. So let's start with John chapter 7, with Jesus in Galilee. He was a few days' walk to the north of Jerusalem, and we're told that in Judea, specifically in Jerusalem, that is, the Jews wanted to kill him. The reference to Jews probably means the religious leaders who felt somewhat challenged by his teaching. Galilee, on the other hand, was comparatively safe for him. And in Capernaum, it had a place that many traders would pass through. It was on trade routes. And if you want a message to get around, then repeat it on a trade route and hope the trade, traders take it with them. However, with the divine presence said to be in Jerusalem, in the temple, that was the place to be, especially at the time of an important festival. That gave his brothers 
for in spite of all that they'd seen and heard of his work, doubted him. An opportunity they, they had now to challenge him, challenge him to go to Jerusalem for the festival. They were going, he, he should go with them. But Jesus said, no, I'm not going. Not with you at least. That, in fact, didn't mean that he wouldn't go. It simply meant that he wouldn't go with all the razzmatazz that would accompany him if he went at the same time as the crowd. He didn't want his arrival to be announced to the Jewish authorities. He had a seemingly simple reason for not going with the crowd to Jerusalem. He told people, my time has not yet come. But that reason is not simple, and it points to things to come in the future. We remember, I hope, that the Passover was the time when the people of Israel were freed from slavery in Egypt. Jesus had a purpose, and that purpose was to free people from slavery, to sin. We're not told if Jesus knew how that would ultimately be achieved, but the suggestion from his comment is that he knew the time wasn't yet. And he probably knew that it had to be at Passover, coinciding from slavery from sin, freedom from slavery from, sorry, making the sin and freedom from physical slavery coincide. Certainly that couldn't be at Booth's. Jesus referred to the world as hating him. <clears throat> By just this, he seems to have meant the establishment that had turned away from God. The Jews were intended to be a race that was a light to the world, but were failing in the appointment. They, that had put them in direct conflict with Jesus. The accusation in verse 12 of our New Testament reading that Jesus was deceiving the crowd is serious. People had been warned in the past to beware of false prophets. And we still need to beware of false prophets. And there are some of them around. In those days, if Jesus was indeed deceiving the crowd as a false prophet, then he could be put to death. However, there's a general fear of the Jewish leaders, the scripture tells us, and they, very little was said. So to avoid drawing attention to himself, Jesus had made his own way to the festival. And it appears that he had been quiet until about midway through the festival when he went to the temple and began to teach. Now that's not being quiet, is it? That's very much in the limelight. And so, of course, questions were raised immediately. The religious leaders had studied and worked to get their understanding, the understanding they thought they had. But Jesus had not been taught as far as they were aware, but he had great learning. So where did he get it from? 
I think the response Jesus had would antagonize the teachers even more. My teaching comes from the one who sent me, he said. If you resolve to do the will of God, you will know that the teaching comes from him and it's not my own. That would be true because the people in general would know their scripture. He went on to accuse the teachers of seeking their own glory with their teaching while he sought the glory of the one who sent him, God. It's not surprising that Jesus was not popular among the teachers of the law. Of course, there's nothing like an example to make a point. Any good teacher will be using examples, won't they? Jesus had been heavily criticised for healing a man on the Sabbath. And he was now able to show that the teachers of the law broke the Sabbath law by carrying out circumcisions on the Sabbath. But what does all this say to us as Christians some 2,000 years later? I think it indicates to us the need to, for honesty and integrity. We have a sceptical community around us and we must be able to speak honestly to them when the situation arises. People need to recognise that anything we say comes from our deep faith in God. We need to feel comfortable in talking about the contents of the Bible because that is where we get our understanding of God from. That means that we need to read and understand it. Each one of us should be reading a passage of scripture each day, probably with some study notes. And we can be sure, I think, that as we go about our work, as we meet and talk with people, God will be with us. He was with Jesus, and Jesus knew the things to say. We can look to God to help us as we go about and do his work in the community around us and in the wider world. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'll be with each one of us, deepening our understanding of you and of our faith in Jesus. Help us, Lord, that as we meet and talk with people, we may honestly proclaim our, free, our faith to all that we meet. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Amen. <clears throat>